Times of London is reporting on this. Wow, this is a big story. And I think it was, I, I assume the International Committee in Switzerland called Japan and said, are you kidding? Mm. <laughs> and corporate sponsors, of course, were beginning to speak out. So, you know, Morty's days were numbered. No, he's a former prime minister, has a long history of these kinds of dumb, sexist comments. And so um, he himself has called himself a, a political fossil, and um, I agree with him. Okay. Well, interesting things going on in Japan at the moment. Look forward to talking to you again very soon, William. Thanks very much. That's Tokyo-based journalist and author William Pesic. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a look at the markets for this morning. Over in Australia, uh, stocks are rallying there, up half a percent. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 is up 1.1%. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to add over 400 points at the open this morning on the first day of the year of the Ox. Brent crude oil is trading at uh, $63.36 a barrel. Gold is at $1,821 an ounce. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Do please tune in again tomorrow morning uh, at 8 o'clock for Money Talk. Back chats coming up in a moment with Jim Gould and Andrew Work. The weather forecast for today, mainly fine and dry. Maximum temperature is going to be about 24 degrees. The outlook, windier in the next couple of days, cool in the morning and dry during the day. Uh, The temperature right now is 19 degrees, 75% relative humidity. 8.31 and a half with the latest news headlines this morning. Barry O'Rourke. Hong Kong has reported nine new COVID-19 cases. The first time since November, the number of new cases has dropped into single digits. Four of the cases were locally acquired, three from an unknown source. But the controller of the Centre for Health Protection, Dr Ronald Lam, said the public should remain vigilant, warning the figure could rebound after the Lunar New Year holidays. Currently, we are seeing a slow drop in the number of cases in recent few days. But the next step would be affected by a number of factors, including perhaps during the New Year, many of the citizens would not seek medical consultation. And so this may affect the trend of the epidemic after the Lunar New Year. And also, we are unsure that during the holidays, usually there will be some kind of gatherings of families together. Myanmar's coup leader, General Min Aung Lang, says he will try to handle the mass protests against the overthrow, as he put it, softly. He did not clarify what that means and warned he would take effective action against those he said were harming Myanmar. The BBC's Jonathan Head reports. The sight of armed and uniformed soldiers on the streets of Myanmar's cities has amplified concern that the military is preparing to crush the protest movement with force, as it has in the past. In places, the army and police have fired shots and rubber bullets to disperse the crowds. But the feared bloodbath has not happened, and comments by the coup leader, General Min Ong Line, suggest he may be trying to avoid one. Outside the headquarters of the party, led by Aung San Suu Kyi, her supporters kept up a noisy vigil, demanding that she and her colleagues be released. She was supposed to face charges in court today of possessing illegal walkie-talkies but her detention was extended for another two days. There is little likelihood of her being released. And that's the news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Jim Gould and your co-host today is Andrew Work. Morning, Andrew. Good morning, Jim. So, um, on today's Back Chat, Hong Kong, Greater China and the world in the year of the ox. 
as we celebrate the new year in the lunar calendar. What can we expect in the interlinked realms of politics, economics and public health in the coming 12 months? With a new administration in the United States, what of relations with mainland China and where will Hong Kong fit in? And what about the prospects for opening up again once a vaccine programme here gets underway? We'll uh, be joined shortly by, uh, we hope, Dr. Sridhartha Sridhar, a clinical assistant uh, professor at the Department of Microbiology at the University of Hong Kong. And uh, also we'll have on the line um, Andrew Leung, international and independent China strategist and former director general of social welfare. Okay, um, and I believe uh, Andrew Leung is now on the line. Good morning to you. Good morning. Um, um, uh, Happy New Year. Happy Happy Year of the Ox. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Um, Yeah, so we wanted to talk a little bit about um, about, um, international relations, um, obviously with a new government uh, in Washington, relations between uh, the US and China. How do you see those uh, developing over the next few months? Well, um, I think that we have to put this in um, a longer perspective because we are now um, uh, facing a, a truly... Uh, game-changing paradigm shift um, in the relationship between the United States and China. Now, um, both uh, parties, um, uh, there was a bipartisan consensus uh, that China is now an existential threat to the United States. Um, This is informed by two very influential ideas. The first idea is that that somehow um, a, a rising China uh, represents a secret ambition, a so-called 100-year marathon uh, to replace the United States um, as the leader of the world um, or, or trying to be the world hegemon. So that's, uh, for example, there is a lot of uh, uh, academic um, and also strategic uh, studies um, behind this idea. I think that this is very, very uh, popular amongst the elite uh, in the United States. Now, the second idea Sorry, uh, sorry, Andrew, can I, can I just get in there? But you were saying popular with the elites in the United States. How about with the elites in China? Are they keen on this idea? Well, of course, China is not keen on the idea. But, but that is, on uh, being the leading world power. Uh, I'll come to that because uh, the, the, the second uh, is, is uh, again, um, a kind of more objective idea um, informed by the so-called um, Thucydides' trap. Um, uh, after the um, uh, thinker and also influential uh, uh, strategist, uh, Graham Allison, uh, there's a whole Thucydides' trap, which suggests that uh, over the past over 100 years, whenever an existing superpower feels threatened by the rising power, in 12 uh, out of 16 cases, uh, they all end up in war. So I think that these two ideas are quite influential. Uh, behind both parties. Now, if you look at the new administration, uh, this, of course, um, President Biden is very, very different from President Trump. But I think that both are, uh, they're not uh, apart in a kind of 306 degrees pushback against China. But of course, the Biden administration is likely to be more principled, uh, more targeted. Um, And I think that you can read this kind of um, messages uh, from what he has been doing uh, since he uh, has occupied the White House. Uh, first of all, there was a two-hour conversation, two hours, great length mm. conversation, be- first time between him and President Xi yeah. mm-hmm. over Chinese mm-hmm. New Year. Mm-hmm. So that suggests that there's a, a, a more in-depth uh, kind of um, relationship, uh, for better or for worse. 
Um, the second uh, thing is that, uh, in addition to that, he has commissioned a study uh, by the Pentagon uh, to look at the kind of military aspects of this relationship, set up, setting up a task force, uh, China task force. Now, the third thing is that uh, in the White House, after the talking to President Xi, uh, he rounded up um, his main advisors, uh, including um, Vice President uh, Harris, um, saying that America should catch up on infrastructure, otherwise China would eat Americans' lunch. So again, uh, he's focusing on the internal kind of challenges in the United States. And the fourth, uh, last but not least, he's closing Guantanamo Bay because Americans seem to be uh, adopting kind of double standards uh, on human rights. Um, so I think that these four kind of actions uh, inform uh, the kind of attitude of the Biden administration towards China. Um, I think that there is going to be, uh, we're now entering into a new era, um, a new normal, as it were, where the two countries would battle not only on trade and technology, but on ideas, on values, on technology, and on humanity. Um, I think that this is going to be uh, pushed to what is called extreme competition, a short of war. Um, I think that we are likely to enter into an era of living dangerously. I mean, this, this has got to be disappointing at some level for Joe Biden, whose career has spanned decades, including a time when people, and you know, but I'm sure he was part of that, was people thought that, hey, we play nice with China, they come into the WTO, and they will come along and join the democratic and liberal world order. Not immediately, but, you know, they'll kind of get on that track. And at the end, presumably, of his political career, you know, he's, well, look, he's looking at a China where he looks around and everyone's like, guys, none of that happened. You know, obviously you, you took us all for fools and now we have to deal with you. That must be quite disappointing for him at some level. Well, it's, it's not just Biden. I mean, that's that kind of uh, disappointment also mm -hmm. informed what is behind um, Trumpism um, under President Trump. Uh, because uh, the, uh, the American um, um, blue-collar workers, and in fact, um, across, uh, across the aisle of both parties, um, feel threatened by what is now uh, what is um, um, uh, pushed um, uh, by the United States um, in terms of globalization. Sure, but, but Trump... globalization but... seems to uh, bring down wages um, yeah. in, in the United States and the loss of jobs uh, due to outsourcing, and they're blaming... on. On China. Yeah, the, fr the frustration is definitely a Trump thing, but I mean, the disappointment of dealing with China on fairgrounds, like I, it would be more Mitch McConnell and Pelosi because they were part of that generation as well. I mean, Trump just came out of, you know, not really nowhere, but yeah. came out of the world of entertainment and, you know, yeah, kind well, of it, it, tapped it, into fact, frustration. It, it was predates Trump, actually. Because, uh, as you said, I mean, the American middle class, um, the, um, the wages have been uh, going down for many years. A lot of jobs uh, have been lost uh, due to outsourcing. Um, and then there is also a perception that um, uh, China's uh, problematic uh, trade practices um, and, and, their, and lack of progress on democratic The kind of lack of openness and so on and so forth. Yeah, yeah. And China's blame for stealing American jobs uh, and, and threatening the American-led liberal order. Mm -hmm. So all this um, is, is not peculiar to any single administration. So I think yeah. that this is going to define the relationship between China and the United States for a very long time. As I said, we're entering into a new normal, um, a kind of paradigm shift. Yeah. 
OK, well, well let's uh, shift uh, direction uh, a little bit. Obviously, we're talking about the world's uh, two largest economies at the moment. Um, we also want to think about uh, the local economy, and that is, as we know, um, largely dependent on the um, vaccine programme that uh, we hope will be coming soon. Um, we're now joined on the line by Dr Siddharth Sridhar, a clinical assistant professor at the Department of Microbiology at the University of Hong Kong. Good morning to you. So, um, so the infection figures. So yesterday we were down to single figures uh, again uh, for the first time in a while. Nine infections, uh, uh, four locally transmitted, three with no known source. And, and I believe it was uh, 12 the day before and 12 the day before that. Uh, um, uh, how much encouragement should we draw from this? They're looking good. I think they should be cautiously encouraged. But uh, the reality is uh, the control over COVID-19 is always quite fragile. So uh, there's always a very thin line between being in control and completely out of control. Especially in the past, we have seen a spike in cases uh, after public holidays. So um, we've had four public holidays, and uh, there have been people certainly uh, gathering in uh, different areas. So we're going to have to see how much that impacts the figures in the coming days. But uh, certainly this is uh, no point. I trust in the fourth wave, so it's... Uh, encourage you to see. Yeah, it, it seems like you're, I hear what you're saying because we've we've been here before, haven't we? Like we've been down to these, you know, double digits, single digits, uh, and yet things seem to be coming back. And now we're now we have to worry about vari variants uh, coming out of South Africa, coming out of the UK. Although now they seem to be spreading everywhere. What, what do you think the likelihoods of some of those uh, highly contagious variants reaching Hong Kong are? And then you know, before a vaccine becomes widespread. There has been no evidence of circulation of those variants among the local cases because we've managed to contain um, uh, these variants. Infecting travelers when they come to Hong Kong by our very strict quarantine measures. So they're caught very early and they're not allowed to circulate in the community. Um, I'm not particularly concerned about the UK variant, the B117 variant, so to speak, because uh, there is no quite a lot of evidence showing that the vaccines probably work very, very effectively against that variant. The slightly more concerning one is the South African variant, and variants like it. They carry uh, certain mutations in monotone uh, genes that may perhaps impact the vaccine efficacy if a real-world effectiveness a little or significantly more than the UK variant. So that's the one to look out for in the coming months. Okay, uh, we, ha we have a number of emails from listeners on various topics, but uh, uh, these next two relate to what we're talking about at the moment. Um, so um, I'll just uh, read... Uh, these two. This one from Erna. Erna writes, um, Dear Backchat team, may I ask if someone from the Department of Health can explain to me why the gyms will be opened on the 18th of this month, but not the swimming pools. As far as I know, no infections were reported that originated in pools. However, there were quite a number of infections in gyms since the pandemic started a year ago. Swimming is the best exercise for all ages, and this is a sport that knows no age limit. Yet for many weeks, last year and this, the pools have been closed, depriving us from this inexpensive way to keep fit and our bodies healthy. Your help 
with my request for clarification would be appreciated. And, um, and this one from uh, Leslie Ann writes, Dear Backchat, please can you highlight why the UK and other countries have been vaccinating their citizens since mid to late December and Hong Kong has not even <coughs> started? It is a complete disgrace and our government is totally responsible. Instead of haggling over the potential merits and pitfalls of the Sinovac vaccine, they should be receiving the Pfizer, Moderna and AstraZeneca vaccines that were supposedly ordered months ago and distributing them. I'm pretty confident in saying that the majority of Hong Kong people have no interest or... or uh, um, uh, no interest or maybe that's confidence in the Chinese vaccine. It is probably quite safe, but its efficacy level is well below the other three vaccines and should not be forced on us. We need these vaccines as soon as possible so that we can travel, run our businesses and lead a normal life again. But frustratingly, the Hong Kong government continues to be woefully blind to our needs, as usual. That's from uh, Leslie Ann. Um, um, Dr. Sridhar, what, what's your understanding of where we are now uh, with the uh, vaccine programme? We, we find ourselves somewhere in the middle of the queue. The mm. hope mm. is that it will definitely get underway by the end of the first quarter. So I really hope to see vaccination starting in March, and that looks like a realistic timeline. Of course, we're going to target uh, certain priority groups first, like the elderly, before rolling it out into the general population. Mm. The reasons for that are many, very many. Um, uh, first of all, Hong Kong was not actually involved in the development, the design, the research studies of these vaccines at any level. So usually mm. you find uh, regions that are involved in the uh, clinical trials get starting off their kick off their vaccination campaigns a bit earlier. And uh, the other reason is we, we don't have enough cases, so we, we, we are not in a position like Israel which can say to a vaccine company, give us the vaccines very quickly, and we'll give you a whole load of real-world efficacy data on how the vaccines work. So we are not uh, in a position to do that because the case numbers are too uh, uh, low, actually, here. So... Um, uh, and uh, the, I mean, there is also a, an element of perhaps a lack of urgency or a sense of complacency about the low numbers here. That has perhaps also delayed the vaccination campaign here a little bit compared to Singapore. So a lot of things happening together. I mean, we find ourselves where we are, but uh, hopefully the vaccinations will begin next month. Okay, um, yeah. Andrew Leung, do you think uh, the criticism is uh, is a little bit unfair, perhaps, against the government, given those uh, explanations that we've heard from uh, Dr. Sridhar? Well, I think the comparison with the United Kingdom and uh, the United States uh, with Hong Kong is, is not uh, uh, exactly on all fours, because, uh, uh, again, um, it's much more uh, easier uh, for the United States and the uh, United Kingdom, because they are developing uh, the, uh, the two um, leading vaccines themselves. So the availability of these um, uh, vaccines um, in large quantities uh, would be a lot easier for these countries compared with a territory like Hong Kong. Um, and the third is that, of course, um, I'm not saying that Hong Kong is, 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 is all blameless. Um, I think that the systems need to be speeded up. Um, 
and apparently, um, you know, this, uh, the, the, the medical team is doing all they could. I mean, all the microbiologists and, and the team of experts uh, are trying to pass the, um, get the vaccines through their tests. Um, so I think that Hong Kong is not the only uh, territory uh, which hasn't vaccinated um, any significant or any, any of, the, of its populations in, in, in Southeast Asia, uh, for that matter. Mm. Um, but I think that, that, that definitely this is a, a, a game changer for Hong Kong. But if I may, I'd like to, to, to address an even more important uh, page um, in Hong Kong's um, uh, development, um, uh, for better or for worse. So apart from pandemics, uh, it's the relationship with um, the motherland. Um, after the introduction of the uh, national security law, and also the impact uh, of what other countries are uh, introducing in terms of um, um, uh, schemes uh, to attract a lot of Hong Kong people away from Hong Kong. Um, and then, of course, the, um, the Hong Kong administrations um, uh, getting on with the amendment uh, of the Oaths and Declarations Ordinance uh, to require um, uh, officials and other uh, public uh, office holders to swear um, allegiance uh, to Hong Kong and and to uh, People's Republic of China. So I think that all this would trans- translate into another uh, paradigm shift um, in Hong Kong's one country, two systems. I think that's even even much more important, um, perhaps, than the pandemic, which hopefully would be uh, relatively uh, of lim- relatively lim- lim- uh, limited duration in historical terms. Mm-hmm. I mean, there does seem to be a connection between the two different things. It's a little oblique, but I mean, Hong Kong's done better than a lot of places, uh, uh, you know, like the UK, the United States. But you know, the, the plan has been the strategy seems to have been first of all suppression of any kind of public gatherings, and then surveillance. They're moving ahead with the apps to make you check in to, on minibuses now and, you know, buildings. They announced this over the weekend that they're fast-tracking development of their apps to be able to track where everybody goes all the time. So it's suppression first, surveillance second, and, and vaccines really uh, almost an afterthought compared to a lot of other places. Is it, does that seem to, you know, do you think that's a, that's a wise strategy? Well, I think that, again, you can see that uh, what's happening recently in the past couple of days uh, in terms of being lined up to be, um, to be tested. Mm. Now, this has never happened before because all the testing slots have, have been booked within a couple of days. Mm. Now, the reason for this change is because um, the government's imposing um, requirements on employers and employers imposing requirements on their workers. Uh, to get um, at least tested mm-hmm. before they are allowed to come back to work. So I think that there is a bit of um, um, uh, 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 sort of uh, requirements or regulations imposed from above rather than relying on the kind of voluntary uh, kind of um, spirit uh, amongst the citizens. And you can see it around the world in, in democracies around the world. Uh, there's a bit of both. Um, uh, appeal to people's um, kind of uh, their own self-interest, uh, but also uh, introducing a bit of what is normally perceived as draconian measures. So it's always a bit of both. Um, I think Hong Kong is facing the same problem, but hopefully, um, and you can see the numbers uh, of positive cases that um, have been going uh, down during the past couple of weeks, and hopefully this mm-hmm. trend will continue. And yeah. before long, we may... Um, with the introduction of the vaccine, we can go back to at least uh, relative normality. 
but because once that is restored, normality restored, I'm quite hopeful um, that the economy will pick up very, very quickly. Because uh, with the uh, Hong Kong dollar um, going relatively cheap vis-a-vis the renminbi, there's a lot of um, uh, kind of travelers from the mainland, um, shoppers and also businessmen, um, workers and so on and so forth, um, and it's going to jack up the economy. How about travel uh, documents with your vaccination status on it? Uh, Dr. Siddharth Sridhar, is there, any, is there talk of that in the microbiology community? Or are they, do they just not have enough confidence in the vaccines and how exactly how well they're going to work to be able to say, yes, we can give you a document with a stamp that says you have a vaccine and that means that you are cleared to travel? Uh, do we have the confidence to create that kind of a vaccine document that used to happen? Is it, well, uh, I think as traveling is concerned, uh, the, the, the confidence must be, um, has got to be propped up uh, with a kind of agreement on protocol uh, between Hong Kong and other countries. Uh, in fact, between uh, other countries and, and, and some other countries. So there's, there's got to be a kind of international protocol uh, whereby um, each territory would recognize the kind of testing or the kind of uh, proof uh, produced by the other country. And the second thing is, of course, to introduce the kind of technology, uh, the apps, uh, which make it easier for people to travel. Uh, so hopefully this would, 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 would happen. Uh, but again, we don't see any kind of uh, international agreement uh, to make it happen sooner rather than later. Um, but I think what's, what's encouraging in Hong Kong in the past couple of days, I would I, I, I say, it, is that people are getting more and more used to the apps, uh, at least uh, enable their, their, their whereabouts to be traced so that in case there is any positive case happens, at least people know where they have been to be able to, 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 to at least uh, get this trail of possible uh, infections. Uh, otherwise, we, we, we always have this lingering uh, kind of new cases, unknown cases coming up, uh, which saps the confidence of the population um, with the uh, government's ability to control the disease. Yeah, Europe has just started talking about that. Uh, Andrew yeah. Lung, uh, you know, do you think politically the Europeans, with the Schengen Agreement and especially with Brexit, have more impetus to create yeah. a document like that for internal travel in Europe? Well, um, I, I think that it, it, the Schengen Agreement, of course, is a, a European thing. Um, but I think for Hong Kong, the most important thing is between Hong Kong and the mainland, because most of our travelers to, to Hong Kong would be from the mainland. Mm-hmm. And of course, at the moment, uh, Beijing has not uh, a complete confidence uh, in Hong Kong's government's ability to really uh, contain or control or eradicate the, at least, or, or, or try to drive down the, the incidents to, to single digits. Um, so until that happens, uh, there's going to be a, a lot of restrictions uh, on the side of mainland and vice versa. Um, as far as the Chinese vaccines are concerned, I think that it's, it's, it's a bit of um, a, a mixed picture because on the one hand, while this efficacy um, on the whole it seems to be lower, but on the other hand, there's plenty of evidence to say that it's to suggest that it's much safer, especially people with over 65. Um, and, and the older people tend to have all sorts of ailments, either apparent or, or hidden. Uh, and then um, any kind of um, side effects, which have very little uh, impact uh, on younger uh, people of younger age, may cause severe problems for, with people over 65. There's, there's, there's more that in one European country, they've, they've actually warned against um, the use of these um, uh, more efficacious vaccines uh, on people over a certain age, uh, whereas the, the Chinese virus seems to have a much higher uh, safety um, 
index or confidence. Dr. 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 is um, would you agree with that? Yeah, so the uh, the mRNA vaccines are generally stronger. They're, they're more reactogenic, um, speaking in medical terms. So when you actually inject them into the body, they give your body's immune system a lot more of a kick. Now, that kick comes with some side effects. You get a lot of pain and swelling at the site of injection. And you also have a higher chance of getting some side effects like fevers and chills and uh, tiredness for perhaps... Uh, day or so. And they very quickly subside and there are no long-lasting uh, side effects from those. But uh, these are very easy to cope with for a young person who receives the vaccine. And the trade-off is that you get uh, very high efficacy rates, exceeding 90% of the clinical trials. Now, um, in the very elderly, say they have, they're very frail, they're very debilitated, they have a lot of underlying diseases, and you give them a, a very strong vaccine like that, and it causes a few uh, side effects like fever, chills, there's some kind of systemic inflammation. It can throw their bodies off balance, and I think that was uh, basically what happened in the experience in some of the Nordic countries when they were vaccinated, very, very frail and debilitated elderly. Having said that, I mean, if you have a relatively elderly person, um, 60, 70, who, who, or even older, who actually has a decent health profile and is uh, not bed-bound or isn't very frail, um, that there is plenty of evidence to also show that the mRNA vaccines are relatively uh, safe as well. So we're talking about a very extreme, debilitated population who would perhaps react uh, quite poorly to the side effects of the mRNA vaccine. Okay. And, uh, as was just mentioned, the uh, Chinese vaccine is actually uh, doesn't have carry this problem because it's simply less reactogenic. So okay, great. Uh, people tend to get fewer side effects. Thank you very much uh, for that uh, contribution. Uh, we've got a break for the news. Um, um, get in touch with us. Uh, you can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk. Or you can give us a call on 233 Quick look at the weather. It's going to be mainly fine and dry. Top temperature today about 24 degrees, moderate easterly winds, fresh offshore at first. The outlook, windier in the next couple of days, cool in the morning and dry during the day. Currently it's 19 degrees, humidity 75%. Welcome back to Backchat with Andrew Work and me, Jim Gould. And this morning we're having a bit of a look ahead to the Year of the Ox. Um, and before we resume our conversations uh, with our guests this morning, um, a few emails here to, to read out. Um, let me see. Yeah, you got a pile of them there, Jim. I mean, it's, you've, you've been inundated. I do. They're, yeah, they're on a number of different subjects. Um, Okay, let's let's start with these. Hang on a sec. And as you, as you pull those together, I'm just going to say the word of the day from Dr. Sridhar in the right. first half of the show, reactogenic. Yeah, I'm, just, that, I'm going to use that 10 yeah, times yeah, today. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, okay, well, uh, message here from um, Sherman says, uh, it has now come to light that Lawrence Locke, the member who nominated Hong Kong Bar Association Chairman Paul Harris for the role, did not even know that Harris was a city councillor 
uh, of Oxford, that's a city in the UK, just before he got nominated, and that he is still a member of the Liberal Democrats in the UK. How does it work for a UK-based British barrister who's a member of a political party of a foreign country to represent the Hong Kong Bar, even if he might be a Hong Kong resident? Would the UK Bar Council accept a member of a political party of a foreign country to represent it? The deliberate omission of these facts by Paul Harris sounds fishy to me. Is the Hong Kong Bar Association doing anything to rectify this to save their own reputation and representativeness? That from... Sorry, that from uh, Norman. Uh, this one from Matthew. Today's Backchat Topics asks, uh, what can we expect in the interlinked realms of politics, economics and public health in the coming 12 months? It's a good question, but one that should be addressed by our government leadership and elected representatives. But unfortunately, it appears they will no longer appear on Backchat. So we have to ask the feng shui man instead. For years, we were falsely told by the government that the pro-authoritarian political elite, that the obstacle to effectively dealing with Hong Kong's serious livelihood issues was the irresponsible pro-democracy opposition. However, now that all opposition has been purged, we see no improvement, no vaccination plan, no meaningful support for people or businesses devastated by the pandemic. Instead, we have a zealot-like focus on ineffective ambush lockdowns to impress Chairman Xi. Policies to reduce free thought in the education system, proposal to restrict Hong Kong people's freedom of movement in and out of the city, and RTHK pulling the uh, BBC... Uh pulling the BBC based on a mainland directive. Hmm. Hopefully the feng shui master sees brighter times ahead. Happy New Year from Matthew. And um, again, relating to that um, decision by RTHK to drop the uh, BBC World Service, which had been on overnight on Radio 4. Um, so, uh, uh, OK, Herman writes, the timing of RTHK's decision to de-platform the BBC was interesting and I would be surprised if we did not receive a massive memorandum from the great uh, Boracle. Uh, one, because he, is, uh, can uh, sorry, because he is in Canada and is consequently aware of absolutely everything that goes on in Hong Kong. Two, because he is omniscient, even if, according to some, he tends to disguise false assertions as facts. And three, because this is the year of the bull and we can expect plenty of that from him. Obviously, Herman is responding to uh, another of our regular <laughs> correspondents. But, uh, but, but, flame war by radio. Yeah, but, <laughs> But, uh, but kudos to RTHK for airing the comments of uh, Professor Keith Richberg, as many times as it did, as his comments did not consider the possibility that RTHK may have come to the decision of its own accord. They were more than a tad insulting. Yet if Professor Richberg's uh, premise that RTHK is run by non-thinking automatons controlled by Beijing is correct, it could prompt some to wonder why the government does not replace RTHK management and editorial staff with AI. Of course, uh, uh, were this to happen, it would not exactly help the future job prospects of students at the University of Hong Kong's Journalism and Media Studies Centre, would it? Uh, Keith Richberg, of course, is the director of that mm. JMSC at Hong Kong U, who was uh, commenting uh, on Friday. And we used uh, 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 some of his comment in our news output about the RTHK decision uh, not to carry BBC World Service overnight anymore. Um, right, um, back to our conversation this morning. I'll look ahead to the year of the ox. Um, um, 
I believe on the line we should have uh, Marcus Liu, who's a member of Wan Chai Connect and uh, a restaurant owner. Uh, good morning to you. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my yeah. Marcus, for, for my, uh, for my uh, benefit, can you tell us what is One Chai Connect? Uh, One Chai Connect pretty much that just uh, con- connect 13 districts and all the local representatives to help out some campaign. And this, in this year, we're going to do the anti COVID 19. We distribute masks and also, like, especially focus on the FMB industry recently. Yeah, I'm the representative for them. Gotcha, gotcha. I have, I, I have some restaurants and, and cafes, and I'm in the industry, so that's why. Yeah. Ah, so okay. you, you must be looking forward to Thursday when the restrictions yeah, are relaxed. Yeah. Yeah. We are happy about that, but some of my friends are quite unhappy. I mean, from those who, who own the bars and all the clubs and all that, because they still, I mean, they still need to close. Mm-hmm. But uh, for the F&B generally, we're happy for the government, and... And we're preparing how to do the COVID testing regularly for our staff and provide the best service and, uh, and, and just be professional. So just to remind uh, listeners, yeah, so uh, restaurants will be able to stay open until 10 o'clock from mm-hmm. Thursday with uh, four people per, per table instead of two. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, how much of a difference is that going to make uh, to business? Yeah, it's, it's a completely different world game. I mean, it's a different game because... Already the reservation is full already. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So um, I, I can see people eager to go out and grab a drink and try to be, sit back and relax and have a chill. And I think that's important and that's the culture of Hong Kong. Since yeah. decades ago, right? I mean, like, we all need a drink after a long day of work. But yeah, we are happy. But uh, we're still hoping the bar industry can, 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 can be open. I mean, if for this coming, for this coming couple of weeks, we did a great job and I believe that the government I mean, Jim, it's great for the mental health of the city as well. I mean, parents have actually had to go home and deal with their children at 6 o'clock, which is just, I mean, the horror, the horror. Now we can hide out until 10 and then they go to bed. Um, but but more, more seriously, I mean, this is good, but is it going to be enough? I mean, because sometimes people think, oh, they've loosened the restrictions now. The restaurants are all going to be fine. But I mean, a lot of restaurants have... Uh, taken on debt, they've they've dug into their credit lines. Uh, small operators yeah. have maxed out their credit cards, and I mean, you know, this is this is this is not going to dig them out of a credit hole or the backlog of unpaid rent they have to their landlords. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the the pain is not going to stop just because we're, we've gone to ten o'clock. I mean, it's going to easing a bit, easing, but at least we can see the light. Yeah, we can see the, that's important because otherwise, and uh, why we keep continue on doing the project as I talk about it, I mean, in the press or last week, that usually for the FMB business, we're looking for a project for like three to four years, because the rental contract is like three to four years. And I, we all believe that we don't close, not because we are hoping to make a lot of money for the remaining one or two more years, but mm-hmm. we believe that, because uh, we, we have to take care of our staff, and also that uh, we treat Hong Kong as our home, that we can't, we're not going to leave. And yeah. we still need to uh, make a living and uh, make our career here. So that's why we, we, we fight for, for COVID. 
and we we we, we decide to stay. And I think that's the beauty for the FMB business. But Marcus, yeah, has there been a reset on the rents in venues that were traditionally leased out as restaurants? Because I mean, retail is not filling the gap. Mm-hmm. Are, are rentals coming down with the number of com- with the numbers of restaurants that have oh, gone out of business it, it, that have evicted? Are, are it, rents coming down? Are there new opportunities for new it entrants? It depends on the landlord. It all depends on the landlord. For, for me, yeah. like one landlord decreased the rent by thirty five percent. Yeah, and he's good. He's good. But I heard some of the really big developers, they don't really, really do anything at all. They talk to you, but yeah, never have any actions that you can see. Yeah, you can see. Yeah, so yeah, it depends. But for the local, for the, I mean, if owned by some private landlord, usually they give us a discount. Yeah. So otherwise that, I mean, because we, we, we receive the government subsidy, we all pay for our stuff. Yeah. Because we have a lot of people, you know, like for one restaurant or bar or whatever. But then, but then for the rental, yeah, it depends on all depends on the landlord. But some landlords are really good, but some not saying that they're no good. But I understand that the business world. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but I hope I do hope all of the landlords and developers please be considerate and please do some rent reduction or do some I don't know some separate payments for the rent for other source because. Yeah, we need some help. But are, are there going to be deals out there? I mean, are, are people like you that have multiple restaurants, are you going to be able to find great deals, go back to your investors and say, look, now that we're past COVID, there are great deals out there. I can get a really low lease for three or four years. Invest in my new project. Is that is that going to happen? Is there going to be a regeneration? Could we look to a renaissance for the restaurant industry I mean, post-COVID? It, I think it all happens in all kinds of industry. But the thing is, for the f and business idol, I think the last past year experience I mean, it all scare off all the investors, right? Yeah. Why? Why? I mean, for recent days, if I'm, if I have capital, why don't I just invest my money into the stock market? Sure. Right. And then why? Why bothers for those like tedious work, hands-on works for the F&B business? No. I mean, mm. we, we 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 need to find a way. And I don't think that we have. Uh, we can persuade investors to put in money in this industry for the next couple months at least. Mm-hmm. I hope it's not for years, but because right now you can see the stock market is all good. So I, 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 it's very hard for, for us to persuade any other investor to, hey, come in, yeah, we, we see some light and just just join us. No, I, I, I think it's going to be a difficult situation for us. Mm-hmm. And we need to find a way. I mean, we have to provide the best quality of food, the best service we can get, for mm-hmm. customers, so and that's the way for this for the, for the year of ox, I think. So, so, yeah. so, so, have uh, all of your staff been uh, going for COVID tests and and past yeah, few days? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, we, we, I just uh, before the interview, I just sent out message eight a.m. this morning, and uh, some staff get back to me like the manager required to all get the autobus card and to get the uh, sample kit at the MTR station and. Uh, Turn into the nearest like government checkpoint for the testing. Yeah, we all arrange that. Yeah, and I think it's a must because uh, we have to provide that in order for us to to allow us to open to 10, 8, 10 p.m. Right? I mean, yeah. from the yeah. government instructions. Yeah. And we are, it's not it's a bit inconvenient, but we, we are okay. We are okay, and uh, we already do arrangements for that. And I think it's, it's our responsibility to to make sure that we are safe. And, and how about the Leave Home Safe contact tracing app? Because uh, customers will be required to use that, won't they? Or leave their personal details when they go into a restaurant. Yeah, you mean 
happen, I, we, we were enforcing the leave home safe app to a customer. So if you are not going to do it, then we refuse to, to, to provide any service to you. What, what, if, what, if, what if people are coming in or does that mean basically poor people that can't afford smartphones aren't allowed in restaurants anymore? Does that mean, I mean, people who, you know, are middle or higher income, they just assume that everybody has a smartphone and, and is wealthy enough yeah. to maintain that. But yeah. a lot of poor people don't have them. Um, I mean, people are like, what, really? It's like, yeah, they don't. So, I mean, does that mean poor people are basically going to be banned from restaurants or is the government going to buy them all smartphones? Oh, I think that should be the, the job for the government to do it, right? I mean, at least I don't know whether it's good to provide them the phone, but then... For the F&B business, we are we're just making sure that we follow all the instructions from the government. Yeah, yeah, that's what, that's that's all we can mm -hmm. do, and, and we have lots of problems in terms of uh, the menus and the trains and how to provide the promotions and then all this all these matters. So if people don't have the smartphone, I think it should be the government respons um, responsibility to make sure that everybody can utilize the application. Yeah, I, I've never been able to get the QR scanner to work on my phone, so I'm a little worried about this because then people are like, oh, no, I'll show you how to do it. And then they try and they're like, oh, you're right, it doesn't work on your phone. You going to buy me a new phone? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think the government's thought it through necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it, 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 I mean, that's the only way that we can do, like, for, 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 for allowing us to, to be open, right? I mean, like, I mean, otherwise, and uh, it's going to be hard for us to, to sustain in business. But we will follow, we will follow because uh, – yeah, the the people. Yeah, the, we we are ready for it. Yeah, we are so happy that we can open till Tuesday, ten p.m. Yeah. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. There, there have been warnings in recent weeks that uh, a lot of restaurants were facing closure because of the difficulties caused by the mm -hmm. uh, the restrictions and, and what. So, so this. Um, uh, allowing restaurants to stay open till ten and increase the table size is is is, is that sort of going to come at, you know in time to rescue a lot of these establishments? Yeah, I think so. I think so. at least, as I said, how we see the light, because I thought mainly, like, because a lot of people told me, like, business, I mean, industry people told me that uh, the sales just, like, 25 to 30% as normal of their revenue. But then if they allow, like, four people and allow to do 10 p.m., they can get back to half or 60% of their normal revenue. Hmm. So I think that's, 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 I mean, you can double the revenue, which is to make you like, well, at least we can sustain a bit. <laughs> but of course, we do hope that the government can can do a much better job in terms of curing the whole situation. And so that we can get back to normal business hours hmm. and normal like party size. You, you, I mean, we all know that for the Chinese New Year. Usually the the table size is like eight to twelve, right? But right now we can do like four people, but it's okay. We we can. It's better than two because for two people, like nobody can survive because it doesn't make sense for running a restaurant for only serving like a table size for two people only, right? I mean, it's just it's just no, uh, yeah, just violate the, <laughs> the any any principle of economics, yeah. So, Marcus, it sounds like you've got a wide variety of different types of venues. Is that is that fair? Like, it sounds like you've got restaurants, you've got cafes. Some of them are probably more daytime. Some of them are probably more nighttime. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Did you did you notice a shift in business to your your like more like a cafe that was normally business at say breakfast and lunches and, and afternoons? Did they get a lot more business and that might go away now as it shifts to the late night? Um, we, we will see. We will see. But seriously, it's hard to tell for this week. Because a lot of people still working at home, and you know, like a lot of companies, 
I mean, they allow workers maybe like probably come back to work for next week, and we'll see. But we're ready, so I I, I would actually know next week. Okay, but I hope that I, when I see the numbers and uh, yeah, I know yeah, hey, it's, uh, we have doubled the figures and yeah. Gotcha. And, and did you make the shift to uh, takeout? Did a number of your venues get onto the takeout bandwagon, or is it, and has that worked for you? Is it? <laughs> yeah, I know some some people have made it work. I've seen some venues that were traditionally late night open up and essentially become restaurants by uh, having letting their next door neighbors provide breakfast in their venue. <laughs> no, we we don't do that. We don't do that. Okay. Really. Just, uh, yeah. Uh, it, it depends, but we want. I mean, like we all want. We we have our identity for for our, our brand, so that's why. Yeah, we we don't do that. Yeah. Yeah, gotcha. Marcus, obviously, you, you've been speaking out for the industry and, and uh, representing, but how, how do you feel about your representation from your LegCo representative? Uh, I mean, I know in the early days of the pandemic, we heard from Tommy Lung a lot. I, I'm wondering, how, how has he been representing the industry recently? Tommy Chung. Tommy Chung. Sorry, what did I say? You mean <laughs> Something how, else. How you I know, mean how I know him, too. The yeah. How he re- yeah. How, how, is, how is the industry feeling about his representation of the, of the industry in the recent months? trying to do a good job but uh, we I mean during this hard time we of course we hope to have much more <laughs> at least right I mean in terms of fighting for more subsidy and and have longer hours for operation and all that and especially for the bar industry they are disappointed seriously because they have been closing down for like 11 months as I remember yeah. or almost like a year so they yeah. just keep mm-hmm. burning the money right I mean paying the rental and paying the stuff and of course I mean, I mean, like we 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 do have hope on him, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, let's see how how it turns out. But of course, but right now, uh, we are happy for the government, and we we all think that it should be earlier. Marcus, there's a lot of talk about uh, pent-up demand among the public because people haven't been able to go out uh, mm-hmm. as much as they would have liked to. Um, um, perhaps some people have been actually you know, saving up a bit of cash from mm-hmm. not going out. I mean, once, once we do get on top of the uh, fourth wave of the coronavirus, once things hopefully start opening up again, um, mm-hmm. um, um, would you expect there to be a strong rebound? I expect from you mean for traveling? Yeah, for I mean, that? I mean, so, well, well, I mean, I mean specifically for the restaurant business, but. Uh, yeah, I I do expect it's going to be a strong rebound because like we all can go out. Even even the situation in Hong Kong is all good. We still can go out because all other countries are still fighting for for the COVID, right? Mm. And uh, yeah, I believe it should be, especially for the uh, especially for the uh, fine dining industry. They're gonna get a very good rebound for that. We or we can see that because uh, even though if you're going to uh, a reserve a lunch for the Japanese restaurant for the omakase course and all that, I, we, I have to wait for like two weeks. <laughs> yeah, so that's why yeah I can see the fine dining industry going to be doing good. I mean after the COVID situation, but not right now. And they they they, they suffer a lot. They suffer a lot because they they're gonna. They need to throw out a lot of ingredients. They kind of laid up some stops and all that. But we all understand. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we do hopefully going to have a strong rebound and uh, going to be benefit for the FMB business. Yeah. 
Yeah, Marcus, you made, you made a point about the, the tourists. And, and one of the things that's been on my mind is with, with the kind of the evaporation of the tourist trade in Hong Kong restaurants mm-hmm. doing their best to survive and, and, you know, adjust to the times. Has there been a change in their orientation away? From, you know, have they changed their menus? Have they changed their offerings to cater more to a local Hong Kong mm-hmm. audience than a, than than a mainland and or other mm-hmm. tourist audience? Like, I mean, have you have you sat down and reviewed all your menus and gone through and said, listen, all this stuff that we used to have for tourists, you know, take it off the menu and just let's let's really focus on no, what Hong Kongers want. Not really for mine because uh, I'm doing cafe and all that like sausage, bacon, <laughs> all that, so chicken. So I didn't really change my menu. But for fine dining industry, they do. Because one of my friend's restaurants did, I mean, like, uh, take off some items uh, due to the COVID because, the no, you know, that the tourists do spending. But, uh, yeah. and they, 42 they million a year pre-COVID. I mean, that's a lot of yeah, spending. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. And, they, you know, they, when, they, when he do the Japanese restaurant, he... They're not gonna order the Toro that much and all that. They they do some trim down for their menu. Yeah, of course, because the food cost is so high, especially for for the food cost. I mean, right now, from if you if you, I mean, deliver by air, then it, it costs much more because of the flight and reduce of flight and all that. Yeah. Okay, so that that sounds more like risk management if they're reducing high cost, highly perishable yeah, goods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and have they have they looked at it more and said like, okay, here's here's what Hong Kongers want. Here's what we know the locals like. Is yeah, of about, course, because yeah. all the money is from, all from our podcast, so we have to think carefully mm-hmm. in terms of menu and how the operation and even even a lot of a lot of uh, I, I didn't know that even the, some of the Japanese restaurants do take out the omakase menu. I, I'm like I'm stunned, you know. And, and how? Yeah, people that, so yeah. For that they usually just sit in and have it, right? But they offer for delivery. Then I'm like, oh my god. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do do you see the do you see this kind of rise in the deliveries and food pandas and Uber Eats in Hong Kong? Do you see them maintaining their position, or do you, you know they've they've had a they've had a boom? I mean, I just I come into my building at night and they kind of allow the delivery guys to come and leave things at the front, right? So you, so you mm-hmm. get a sense of the flow of these products coming into your building where you live, and I mean. Just in the you know the last few months, I mean, it's like went from nothing to like the stuff piled up all over the place. You know, they, they buzz you and tell you to come yeah, down and get yeah. it. Um, do you see these types of uh, businesses maintaining their presence? I know there's a lot of griping about the percentage fee that they charge, and people in the business, you know, people in the restaurant business think it's too high, but they've kind of been doing it because they have to. Um, you know, as we get extended opening hours, do you see these businesses dropping off and deliveries and, you know, do you see them taking a hit? dropping off, but not dropping off significantly because we all, we all been used to ordering delivery for Panda and all that. So I, I can see this with some drop of it, but not that much yeah, because it's been a habit for us. So you think you think that's become an ingrained habit? This wasn't like a temporary measure. It's become yeah. part of Hong Kong culture, and restaurants are just going to have to continue to to deal with it. Are yeah, they I, you, are they charging I, too much? Do you think? No, I don't think so. I don't. I, I, I also have the. I also join the group and then through all that, but then I don't think that they charge too much because if you own a driver and, and you need to maintain a motorbike and buy the insurance, then I think they charge fair. They charge fair, but I do. I do hope that. It, it will be a culture. It will be, will be the pioneer for the whole world. How how we gonna operate it? Is we gonna have some kind of like deliver, blah blah blah, Michelin stuff like that. So we we provide the best food, best 
uh, fast food for the delivery in okay. the world. Yeah, we, we, we can see some business in this. And we can do a lot of more marketing to try to make it more like a business. Okay, well, thanks very much for speaking to us this morning and thanks for staying with us. Uh, Marcus Liu there, who's a member of uh, Wan Chai Connect and uh, a restaurant owner. Uh, thanks to Marcus. We, we had hoped uh, to bring you um, a feng shui master this morning to uh, uh, talk about the year of the metal ox. Unfortunately, we weren't able to uh, connect with uh, him on the phone. So um, once again, to all our listeners... Happy New Year. Happy New Year of the Ox. Um, um, a couple of more emails to read out uh, just before we go. This, this one from another of our regular correspondents uh, from Bowen. Bowen writes, uh, Dear Backchat, uh, in a recent article on the Indo-Pacific, the Biden administration's new Asia SAR, Kurt Campbell, emphasised that balance of power and the perceived legitimacy of the regional order uh, by the states therein, seemingly predicting that failure to achieve these goals could end the region's 40-year-long peace and unprecedented prosperity. If my interpretation of the article is correct, that imperative translates into, for Hong Kong, a return to the former condition of our city. Uh, our city was in when the one country, two systems regime was much more strictly adhered to, which will help restore balance and also help enhance the legitimacy of the regional order as seen by the two dozen states, Campbell says, have criticised Beijing's assault on Hong Kong's autonomy. The upside for China in the resulting scenario, where the American goals have been achieved is that the growth of China will continue, eventually preventing the US from pursuing so-called liberal hegemony, meaning actively turning other places, including Hong Kong, into liberal democracies. This is because, according to international relations guru uh, John Mearsheimer, a policy of liberal hegemony is only possible under a unipolar international order, but with China's continued growth, a bipolar or multipolar system will be in Entrenched, forcing the US to adopt a foreign policy of realism and restraint. That is something Beijing may wish to take into account. That from Bowen. And Derek writes, uh, Dear Backchat, I don't mean to kick someone when they're down, but was it really necessary for RTHK to ban BBC World News? I'm really not sure how much longer you'll be able to do this show. Let us know when you get your Beijing-appointed supervisor. <laughs> Um, I think, uh, strictly speaking, BBC World News, uh, BBC World Service has been taken off uh, Radio 4 overnight. But thank you for that, uh, thank you for that, Derek. Um, thank you very much, um, Andrew. Um, good My news, good, good, good news. We've got a QR code in the lobby in Broadcasting House, so you can you can you can check it out with your phone. Well, that's what I'm saying. But I can't get it to work on my phone. Let's go and have a look after this. See what yeah, you know. yeah. Okay. Um, so a quick look uh, at the weather. Uh, what's it going to do? It's going to be um, mainly fine and dry. Top temperature will be around uh, 24 degrees, uh, moderate easterly winds. Fresh offshore at first. The outlook, windier in the next couple of days, cool in the morning and dry during the day. Currently it's 19 degrees, humidity 76%. No matter how fit we are, it is important to get vaccinated to prevent COVID-19. All along, we have received different vaccines to prevent infections. Vaccines will help create antibodies and memory in our immune system. When we come into contact with viruses in future, our immune system will quickly resist them. It is the simplest and most effective method to protect ourselves and others. Let's get vaccinated. 
Now the new summary. The leader of the coup in Myanmar, General Minang Lang, has said he will try to handle the mass protests against the overthrow softly. He did not clarify what he meant, though he warned he would take action against those he said were harming Myanmar. The United Nations Special Reporter from Myanmar, Tom Roberts, says the general could have been responding to the international response to the coup. The World Health Organization says global infections of COVID-19 have fallen for a fifth straight week. The number of new cases is now just over 2 million a week, down from 5 million at the start of the year. But the WHO said the efforts to stop transmission must continue. And the Speaker of the US House of Representatives, Nancy Pelosi, has announced plans to set up an independent commission to investigate facts and causes of the attack on the Capitol building by supporters of the former President Donald Trump. She said the commission would also investigate interference with the peaceful transfer of power. More news on the hour from RTHK. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. morning. Hi. Good morning. And good morning to you too. How are you doing? Excellent. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Fine, thank you. Thanks for inviting me to your show. How are you? Good morning, man. How are you? Thanks to see you. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning. And a big welcome to Tuesday here on Morning Brew and a happy, happy New Year of the Ops to you. Big thanks to James Ross for brewing your mornings over the past few days. Well, sometimes, you know, it's a bit difficult to locate our various correspondents when they find themselves in the more remote, signal-weak parts of the world. That happened to me the other day with explorer and filmmaker Marcus Pukkanen. So, of course, we're going to try again. 1010, find out how he's getting on with his trip around the planet without the use of power. And hopefully talk live from Kauchi in India. We'll see. <laughs> After that, going to kick off the year Oz style with Jared Watt, of course, and a couple more great Aussie bands. 11.10, Dr. Merrin Pierce joins us on location for his weekly eco spot. And after 12, we're going to visit biz futurist Morris Misalowski in Melbourne. The ox, you know, is one of the oldest forms of power used by man. So today we're going to look at the future of some of the other old school sources like gas and steam. Join us on Facebook Live if you can, on and off throughout this morning. This is Miles Kennedy to get us going on today's Morning Brew. Lately I've been losing sleep, haunted by design. I'm my own worst enemy when I try to close my eyes. Voices in my weary head, they never let me be. Turning every fear and dread from a whisper to a scream. I keep searching. I can't find any kind of respite from the noise inside. The clock is laughing. Don't ask me why. In the holes of my mind, I'm still home. 